Due diligence on classic business is brought to you by Deal Leaders International Leaders in Mergers and Acquisitions. Now, we knew that 2023 was going to be a, a challenging year for deal makers, uh, grappling with uh, much of the same factors that weighed on activity in the second half of 2022. We had high inflation, we had rising interest rates all over the world, we had the continued dampening effects of geopolitical uncertainty. Uh, But the the question was whether or not the slowdown in M&A could be overcome during the course of the year. And it does look like uh, the question has been answered somewhat. Um, Overall, it does look to have been a a disappointing year for global M&A, which was down to 2.7 trillion US dollars for 2023. That's down around 26 percent on 2022 and in South Africa deal makers which tracks uh, deal activity in the listed space saw a decline of 26% year on year so what can we look forward to in 2024 to peer into that crystal ball i hope it's not cracked i'm joined by andrew balman <laughs> chief executive corporate and advisory at deal leaders international andrew welcome back uh, well rested and ready for a bumpy year of deal making i hope Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Great to be back. And yeah, if, if the start of the year is any indication of the year, it's going to be a, quite, a, quite a roller coaster. But yeah, it's looking good and, and all fired up for the year. Uh, a roller coaster indeed that uh, is uh, full of wild cards. Obviously, the election, uh, a lot of economists that I'm chatting to in, in January are saying it's going to be a year of two halves. There's going to be a lot of wait and see until after the election. And then in the second half of the year, the forecast seemed to be that we'll see interest rates um, start to move lower. Uh, and that's obviously good for confidence. We'll have more settled, uh, more of a settled outlook on the political front as well. Um, what, do you, what are your expectations generally for deal making this year? I would agree with that outlook. I think what we... Yeah, there's always uncertainty when when there's an election. It's quite a unique year with so many elections globally. So, you know, there just seems to be layer upon layer of of uncertainty. Um, But what we are seeing, which is quite an interesting dynamic, is when there are periods like this, uh, you know, from an uncertainty perspective, buyers or business owners hold up the mirror and they either say, you know, there's too much uncertainty, let's wait and see. Or the other side is they're saying, well, we overexposed in certain uncertain uh, geographies or markets. Maybe now's the time to diversify because, you know, it's kind of showed the, the, the chinks in the armor. We've, yeah, you know, I chatted about it a few times towards the end of last year, and we continue to see this growing interest, um, you know, uh, versus the last five years of international um, buyers still being inter- uh, interested in South Africa. And, I think the one thing, I don't know if it's a positive or a negative, but I want to spin it as a positive. I think there's just been so much uncertainty in South Africa and and it's just, you know, been a minefield that despite there being an election, we're seeing no slowdown in interest, you know. So that's mm. that's quite an interesting one. It's almost like let's move forward despite despite what happens. Yeah. And um and it's and it the play is more around the weaker rand. The weaker rand from a a manufacturing, you know, RAND-based overhead perspective um, that can be exported product or service in in hard currency. So, yeah, and I've been chatting to a couple of the, you know, large private equity players in South Africa, and they've all commented that there's this trend, which is quite interesting um, because it's, you know, it's seeing light between the shadows. And, you know, I think the minefield is definitely still out there. But my gut is I think the markets are, or the international investors are getting more and more desensitized to our own minefield and are focusing on the patches where there are no mines. 
Yeah, well, and I think you've you've mentioned so much to unpack there, but it just um, it it reminds me of where we're seeing opportunities for for local acquirers as much as you know foreign acquirers looking into South Africa. Uh, and I just think recently yep. of the the wholesome transaction where they look to divest from Lafarge to uh, to Afrimat because they were looking at their global portfolio saying it's it's a bit tough out there, particularly in Europe um, with high interest rates, low growth. Uh, let's cut some non-core. Let's look to focus cool. on assets that are maybe a little bit closer to us. And then that creates opportunity um, in, cool. in that process for strategic acquirers on the other side. Um, but the valuation one is very interesting for me, given where South Africa finds itself. Uh, Pitfall Yun was uh, writing a great weekly newsletter. If you don't subscribe, do it to Merchant West Capital. And yeah. you know, he was drawing on the lessons from Drickus Duplessis and his now famous saying of Hulle Vietni wat ons Vietni. But he just said it's <laughs> South Africa's resilience and the ability of South African businesses to find a way and to make a plan. And I think that has come through quite strongly through 2023. I would have thought we would have seen more business rescues, um, you know, mm. uh, kind of more uh, what they call in the, the U.S. Uh, good old Chapter 11's uh, filing yes. for bankruptcy. We haven't really seen that much activity in that space. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, firms, especially in the mid-market family-owned space, are actually slightly better off than the, some of the GDP numbers uh, might belie. Hey, look, I would agree with that. And I think so, yeah, again, you know, there's, there's so many layers. To, I agree there's... Uh, it's counterintuitive because you would have expected a lot more blood in the water, not that it wasn't there. But, yeah, you know, we, if I look at, like I said, there's a lot of activity in the marketplace and we look at it, we only play in the privately owned space from a client perspective. And the majority of our clients, our biggest challenge is that they continue to do so well. Now, they're of a certain size, but, yeah, the the, the GDP percentages and averages and, you know, the economic outlook and and confidence various confidence indicators are paint a, a bleak picture but we're seeing it show up in, in a very very different way and and that does play you know to the benefit of local acquirers you know who who still dominate the landscape because clearly we we all living in the, in the same patch being you know super acquisitive um and still paying value which which i find very reassuring you know despite despite the outlook it's Yes, there's a country risk component and, you know, and all of those things, but it's more focused on the counterparty and, and, and what that the growth trajectory looks like. But, you know, the South African DNA is a, just it's a fascinating thing because I, you know, I've always argued for years we're ahead of the curve on everything in South Africa. So mm. the world grapples with uncertainty. We just take it in our stride, you know, and it's, it takes the, the Drickus Duplessis, you know, comment to remind us that we just we don't have a choice. We've got to find a way and, and we continue to succeed. Yeah, uh, such good points you raise there. Uh, when you talk about the unlisted space and particularly mm. the approach of, of private equity, you know, South African yeah. private equity is is a little different to what we see globally. Where the, I don't think we use as much leverage as they do um, uh, globally in our private equity mm. deals. There, there is a layer of debt that is added to juice yeah. up returns, but it's not to the same extent. So, do you think interest rates are going to be uh, uh, such a factor, even if? You know, we do see a cut by, you know, two two percent, which are probably the most optimistic forecast. Do do you think things like interest rates are going to play a role in the in the private equity decisions on whether or not to pull the trigger? 
I think so. I think so. It's quite an interesting dynamic. We're definitely seeing a growing trend of the proportion of debt versus equity coming from the private equity players. I think because, you know, the clients we work with, they have generally got debt-free balance sheets and are cash generative. They they can use that as the counterparty. And, and yeah, I think, you know, any any reduction in the, in the cost of that debt clearly helps the metrics for the private equity players. So yeah, I think I think there is going to be um, a, a definitely an uptick there, either either uptick in in the current players or, or give access to maybe some of the smaller funds to to you know acquire more more aggressively. But I also think the an interesting component is around convincing business owners to put debt in to the balance sheet <laughs> so yeah, yeah. so you know so, so yeah that that's a whole different debate but to answer your question yeah i think we're going to see it growing um and, and that feeds aggressiveness as well i think yeah, in the marketplace because often the debt is relied on for the sweetener in the deal you know versus that you know obviously there's minimum returns on the on the equity portion so it's going to be interesting to compare first and second half you know if those those actual things start coming back and then we've obviously got to talk about the regulatory environment. And, you know, yes. as we're having this conversation, Andrew, I'm trying to get hold of a report from the uh, Competition Commission into an investigation that was conducted uh, at the behest of Treasury into its procurement processes. Uh, it was back in 2019, it first emerged that a lot of work was being directed to a particular firm in Bryanston. And I'm, I'm really battling to get hold of the report. It looks mm. like I'm going to have to go the pyre route to get hold of it. It shouldn't be this way with our regulators. No. It, it seems no. they, they wake up and, and they often in opposition to business, not saying, you know, how can we make doing business easier in the country that's got to be a concern it's a huge concern you know and i think it's it's the you know be it the competition commission be it any you know policies around fdr be you know anything that is meant to stimulate growth be it you know um triple be anything like that is all counterintuitive to building you know a sustainable and, and successful economy so it is i think it's it's also it, it's not only you know those elements it's also the inconsistency where, you know, uh, today it's one thing, tomorrow it's something else. And I think that's it is a concern because it really helps. I mean, it really adds pressure to the um, the execution risk of the actual deal. You know, so there you've got a situation where the, you know, you, you think you're there, you've got terms agreed, you've got all of that in place, and then you've got a competition commission that derails everything. And, you know, if it carries on this trajectory, it's it's going to keep pushing away acquirers because they're going to look at it and say, well, what's more difficult? You know, is it is it more difficult? I love the target, but to get this thing across the line in South Africa, uh, the, the odds are against us. So, yeah, there's just there's too many elements where I often say it's going to happen despite what's going on. They're real, they're real stumbling blocks, and we're going to need to find a way to navigate them because, you know, there's lots of other destinations out there, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa even, that, that would welcome the, uh, the FDR and, and make the process a lot easier. Yeah, so important uh, you, you raise mm. that. Uh, and uh, again, you know, the, just this week we had uh, Afrimat in a very terse sense announcing that its deal to acquire Lafarge from Wholesome is being delayed by a competition tribunal process. And that's after the Competition mm. Commission um, recommended that the tribunal okay the deal. Uh, after extracting yeah. certain conditions and divestitures, which is tough enough to stomach, but then to have the deal delayed uh, by what looks to be 
a few vexatious interlocutory ap- applicants at the tribunal mm. is, you know, none of this is really good. And uh, a guy by the name of Sam Paletti, who's legal counsel for Wholesome, that global Swiss-based multinational you know, company, says he's never seen such a complex regulatory process to get a deal really? over the line. Uh, and, yeah. you know, uh, people talk and that is in the marketplace. And so they, that can provide a bit of a dampening effect. Mm. On the other hand, um, there are sectors that are obviously kind of red hot at the moment. Uh, we see lots of deals in the energy space. Um, mm. Boy, we see lots of uh, uh, restructurings as well in an economy that's that's been low on growth. Where, where do you see the big opportunities from a sector level in 2024? Yeah, look, I think definitely on the energy side, I think that's that's you know goes without say. I think the what's interesting is you know when obviously when the whole you know alternative power and and green energy um, skyrocket started to skyrocket. I think it was quite an undefined space, but it's definitely you know more and more we actually being contacted proactively by you know a lot of the South African listed players. Who are saying we're looking for you know something in you know in, in the value chain? So I definitely say something there. You know, interesting as I mentioned earlier, I think um, BPO, so your business process outsourcing. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more where what was traditionally done in the likes of an India is now being outsourced to to certain parts of you know of the country. Still a lot in technology. I think there's there's still a lot to you know to be done there, either on the e-commerce side, and you know you know be it fintech or, or whatever it may be. That that's changed a little bit, but still definitely, you know, an appetite. And I base that again on, you know, some of the big constellations and the likes, you know, contacting us um, pro proactively. Um, I mentioned earlier the, the manufacturing. I think certain manufacturing um, environments where there's a global demand. Uh, I think there's there's definitely, you know, a very very good appetite there. And mining services continues. You know, we 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 always focus focus in that space and. And irrespective of what's happening in, you know, in the commodity prices, we just see that there's a demand for particularly non-exclusive commodity mining services that um, players are looking at. And, you know, we've seen some multinationals be quite aggressive in that space. Um, but, yeah, I'd say from our perspective, and then obviously there's the farmer, uh, you know, and all of those, those other elements. But I'd definitely say those are some of the key areas we've seen. Well, there you go. Wishing you a, a prosperous 2024, the year of the wood dragon. Let's hope it doesn't all burn down. Uh, we've got lots of <laughs> successful deal closures, Andrew. Take Thank care. you, Michael. To you too. Bye. That was Andrew Bowman, Chief Executive, Corporate and Advisory for Deal Leaders International, looking into his crystal ball for uh, the year ahead in deal making. And this week's due diligence here on Classic Business brought to you by Deal Leaders, partnering with you.